People have told me that my name is Chris Wilson. They also allege that I am the creator of Side Night and Happiness, an internet comedian of sorts, and just a producer and cartoonist in general, and mostly in the dark comedy, sketch comedy realm. What are the three things you value most in life? What are the three things I value most in life? I would say, you know, expression, communication, everything that kind of makes art and creativity work the way that it does is definitely one and health obviously being alive works for me i appreciate it and let's go with freedom 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 in what sense freedom um in the sense of uh having your own autonomy and being able to uh make your own triumphs and mistakes being able to you know creative freedom is massive something that we constantly wrestle for and that always makes things better universally for anyone involved with like you know anything from a viewer to a creator to any part of the transaction is better when there's creative freedom and uh yeah i couldn't imagine how difficult it would be to try to do any sort of creative work and you know like with some of the situations like what soviet russia would deal with and things of that nature i'm you know not a, not as much censorship is best in my eyes so in philosophy there's a distinction between freedom from and freedom to so freedom right. to, to is the ability to like achieve your dreams apply for jobs freedom from is like you're not being persecuted you're not being attacked you're not being like censored so it uh, i like the way that in your definition you like merge those two into kind of a fun uh thing right so, yeah. It, it's both it's both freedom it's, it's both important aspects of freedom there's definitely some freedom from it um, parts that go into that tell me a memory that shaped you i'd say a memory that shapes me it's not exactly one specific memory it's kind of a stretch of them but when i was growing up in a very small town in wyoming about a population of about 150 people um i often recount back to a time where being up like being isolated in a place with you know just it's it's very rural lots of farms not a lot of uh interaction you can have with people in general i spent a lot of time and you know also being an insomniac on top of that spent a lot of time being up late watching stand-up comedy quite often on comedy central and just um really admiring really admiring the format and some of the talent and comedians themselves and just being such a fan and uh, in general just uh gorging myself on all the stand-up animated comedy just comedy writing in general it would be what i would spend all my time drinking in never expecting to be able to do that seeing it all finished and thinking, wow, that's, that's so good. It's so well done. Um, they must be a genius. And later realizing not until I didn't, I didn't even know I was very funny until my, I had friends who let me know. So I often think back to the times of being up late, not being able to sleep and just the glow of stand-up comedy on me and just soaking that in. Did do you have a favorite joke that you can like think of? from from that time my views on the comedian has changed over time but the uh dane cook i remember being young and dane cook had a bit about 
turning Eucharists from a church into a serial called Christ Checks. And uh, me being very young, I really, I really love that entire bit. It's a Christ Checks, it's a miracle in a bowl. And he did a whole <laughs> commercial bit of selling this holy cereal. And I really appreciated that. What's your favorite color? Oh, see-through or maybe transparent. Yeah, transparent. But if I had to, if I had to pick a different one, it would be um, Heather Blue. It's kind of like a, a, a vibrant blue, but then you drag it into the gray scale a little bit. So it's kind of a muted gray blue. It's, it's honestly, uh, I have synesthesia, so I uh, get a bit of a feeling from colors. It doesn't mean anything. It's just, you know, how you react to something. And Heather Blue, I think, is uh, just calming, cool, interesting, and... It's just where, like, as a color choice, I like looking at it the most. Tell me in as much detail as you can about something you knew of which once existed and now does not. Being out in a low population desert means that we got internet support a lot later than a lot of places. And seeing uh, Flash cartoons specifically were huge for me. And one of the very first ones... Uh, websites and series in general that I got into was called Joe Cartoon and it had a you might you might recognize it if if and when you see it if you look back or search it up you will you might recognize it they had some semi-interactive flash cartoons where it'd be like a frog in a blender and you would hit the different buttons to see what it would make the animation do what the frog would say and it was it was definitely a one of the only places to find a bunch of cartoons and games like that back in the day. Um, yeah, like even before, that was even a little bit before Homestar Runner picked up, if I'm not mistaken. And not only seeing someone do cartoons all by themselves that looked good and were fun and interesting, but also the kind of gamification of it as well was so many doors opening at once that I, it, I, it, Definitely, I was at the mercy of being super inspired to be able to pick up a program, maybe teach myself to animate on my own time, and 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 basically go down that same path. And I, Joe Cartoon, I haven't checked on it present day. I know that for a while it went to being a animation aggregator, user submitted, kind of like uh, kind of like Newgrounds, but a little closer to eBombs world. There's a lot of s people stealing animations and putting them up there for a while and now i don't believe the original creator of joe cartoon owns it anymore and it was uh yeah just definitely one of the the stepping stones uh that, that got me into flash cartoons specifically and just doing dumb stuff and throwing it out on the internet i see now that his website has since reduced back to just his core older cartoons which is a good way to go. I, I, it was not working out as uh, trying to be a little new grounds. It was, it was huge for me. Not only, you know, is is kind of weird. And I'm, I'm very much a a sucker for things like gore and 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 horror and dark humor and absurdity in general. I didn't grow up in a household where television was you know the age restrictions were followed or anything like that. And so. When I was very young, I was really enjoying adult-style animation in general, South Park being a big example. And so um, never gravitated towards a lot of children's cartoons at the time. I, I liked the subversive nature of 
all the the weirder, gorier, edgier, you could say, kind of things. That kind of mirrors some of my experience. Yeah, like when I was a kid, it was all um, flash games like armorgames.com. Newgrounds yeah. sort of like it just... Probably Congregate. Congregate, yeah. Fucking love yeah. Congregate. Um, <laughs> and like... I was I was like six, <laughs> you know. Like, I shouldn't have been exposed to a lot of this stuff, but um, I love flash games and stuff. Funnily enough, a lot of my friends are into like Homestuck, which is this comic that came out with a bunch of flash games. Right. And of course, I had never heard of it until like six months ago, and this was really strange for me because I was like, no, I was there. Like I was on ArmorGames.com. Yeah. I. I have played basically every game in their bloody catalog. And then I got my Xbox and like, it, where is it? It took you down a road of animation. It took me down a road of like video games. Uh, nice. That just has not stopped. Um, right. Like the fact that we have a, like a, a similar experience uh, of like trawling through uh, these games were like, oh, there's a new one. I haven't played that before. Uh, like, I even took a lot of my humor. Though, my humor is is more influenced by, instead of uh, a lot of those subversive ones, like Monty Python. Like, uh, Monty Love Monty Python. Huge, huge in my house. Um, yeah, same. My, my father got me into it. Uh, and he, like, not only Monty Python movies, but also Monty Python games. He got me into that around three or four years old. Wow. Incredible. Like, my, my dad is a huge, um, like, uh, forming force in my comedy like one of the jokes that he has been saying since i was very small is and every time he will say it every single time he does it um we might be having like beef for dinner and it was like if you don't like beef that might be a mistake and <laughs> it's just the same joke classic uh, have you heard oh this is this is a joke fusion i think you might enjoy which is kind of niche you know you might have heard it but probably but i'm gonna tell it anyway because it's funny so there's a dude walking down the street, right? And he is walking past this old asylum. And he just, he hears something out of the corner of his ear. He's like, what the hell is that? He like crouches and he doesn't, he can't hear anything. He keeps walking a little bit further and he, he hears it again, slightly louder. Uh, from a tiny little drainage pipe in the side of the building, he hears 96, 96, 96, 96. And it's like, what the fuck is that? So he bends down, puts his eye in and a finger comes out and pokes him in the eye. And then he hears 97, 97, 97. Uh, that's been, that's the sort of jokes and humor that uh, I kind of grew up with. Um, it's interesting. What, what do you think? That was a very specific kind of community, wasn't it, though? Because, like, it was individual, but it was also like, oh, uh, you play these games as well? Oh, let's, let's talk about them. Um, right. Did you join any? Like, I was on the forums of Armor Games and Congregate, and, like, right. I. Had, were were you in in those communities? Not those specific ones. I was in a lot of communities. For example, I was a member of the Newgrounds forums. My very first email using the internet was on sfdt.com. Another thing that doesn't exist anymore that stand stood for Stick Figure Death Theater. A lot yeah. of stick figure gore animations, of course, and like comedy and stuff like that. So my very first email was on stickfiguredeaththeater.com. Mm. And uh, I was also a part of the uh, Stick, Stick Suicide Forums. That's how I met Rob and Dave, started working with them. I was a member of the Tomorrow's Nobody Forums, A, if you remember. Yes, yeah. uh, great. We still work with Chase and David uh, from Tomorrow's Nobody. And we 
you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that especially with folks like the Newgrounds crowd and stuff, there really is a community where not only do a lot of us still keep in touch and work together and collaborate, but um, most people that I know from those forums and those communities went on to also have, you know, also work in the profession they're passionate about, which is usually animation, voice acting, things of that nature. So I think it was really, it's really a hell of a time and place. I don't think there will ever be a second kind of thing that is as intimate and broad at the same time as Newgrounds was. It, we always say that it created our career because that's how we feel about it. Like Newgrounds is a very interesting thing because I was on Newgrounds, but I would only ever go on to where they would like, people would like link, you know, the media discussion section where the people would like link stuff and you could take a look. Um, right. And I can't remember what it's called. It had like, it had a name and it wasn't media discussion. And something and, I've been yeah. blanking on it as well. But you know what I'm talking about. It had the, the name, the Newgrounds. Yeah. Uh, and so I would go there and I would just look at what people were linking. And that was how I came across one of the stick figure animations, which you've definitely seen, which shaped I so much of everything I've done, which is a weird thing to say, but stick figures on crack. You ever, you ever watch stick figures on crack? Like, yeah. Fucking insane. I was like seven right. years old trawling through i had never seen anything like this and I, I like i to this day don't know where any many of the references have come from but i still quote it D now <laughs> i haven't watched those videos in 15 years and i can still quote word for word those videos like incredible the <laughs> you bring back so many memories ah <laughs> exactly right there's always you have it's interesting to think that wow you know like that that's what your brain cell <laughs> is absorbed and staying alive uh inside your brain just to the quote stick figures on crack two or stick figures <laughs> on crack three my favorite joke the in the entire space uh my, my favorite joke in the entire stick figures on, on crack series is the crazy hat club joke where he walks in, it's like, oh, what yeah. the fuck? How have nobody called me? Uh, I I quote that all the time. Uh, <laughs> like I was playing Rainbow Six Siege before we started recording, and like all my like everyone on the enemy team was like walking in and dying, and everyone else on my team had a kill except me. And I went on the mic, I was like, what the fuck? How no? How come nobody called me? Literally, about fifteen <laughs> minutes before we started recording, uh, insane. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, I remember that there was uh, a little bit of controversy behind that specific joke because it was, I, I would agree with this too, it was kind of taken from Don Hertzfeldt's Rejected where it, they had the silly hats only and it was it, they changed it and did something different with it but I remember people arguing about that on the forums at the time, just kind of an interesting memory. Yeah, no, I, I, I remember like I followed all the controversies because I was like, I really like this. Why are people? Because I was a kid, so I was like, "Why are people disagreeing with this thing that I like? It's making me laugh." Uh, yeah, so it needs me to defend it. Yeah. Well, I didn't. Uh, I was one of those. Uh, so my dad always said, "Like, don't me if you're going to use the internet, just don't message." So I was like lurking um, all the time. But I, so I never like stood up to defend things. But I was always like in the background, going, mm, "I think maybe you're you you have a good point, or you don't have a good point, or yeah." Right. Yeah, yeah, your own internal counsel. What, if anything, is perfect? I, I, I'm honestly, I would struggle to recognize anything that I would consider perfect. I feel like perfect is a carrot on a stick in a lot of ways. I think that there's a lot of things that I would consider a masterwork, and that's perfection to me. You know what I mean? When you, you know, if you're doing art, you'll find yourself uh, 
you know, art of any kind, you'll often find yourself being your worst critic. And I feel like you perfection is something you could reach for someone else, someone else's perspective. I, I think, but it's, it's subjective from person to person. So I, I, I would have to argue that I'm not aware of anything that's perfect. I just know of a few masterworks here and there. Well, that's why the question is phrased as it is. What, if anything is perfect, because like perfect, I don't know if I, I think anything is perfect. I think I, I agree with, I would totally agree with you that things are perfect to me, but they, what, what would you consider a masterwork though? I would say something that is a masterwork in my eyes is a lot of, we, we, mentioned Don Hertzfeld earlier Don Hertzfeld's work was a huge influence to me and I think a lot of what he's done is masterwork especially the silly absurd cartoons he started with that were kind of dark and now he's moved on to really deep cerebral storylines that can still be funny and absurd like his uh, it's such a beautiful day series for example I would consider those masterwork to yeah. give one example that fucked me up. <laughs> that, that fucked right, me. Up. Right. Yeah, it fucked me up so bad. Uh, I, I like. I remember going. It's. Oh, what's this? Oh, this seems. Oh no. Oh God, no. Right. <laughs> yeah. I because I had no context yeah. for this. Like I had exactly. Nothing. Right. I went and uh, saw it premiere at Sundance Film Festival, and never had I seen Don Hertzfeld do something with a lot of sincerity and character where it's like characters with names, things of that nature. And the fact that he did such a good job with it right out the bat um, makes me really appreciate the departure. Obviously walking into the theater, I wanted silly, goofy, dark humor, Don Hertzfeld that I'm aware of. And the fact that he did a left turn like that and did it well, while still obviously being funny, I think he's just a funny person that, you know, that, that was uh, really great inspiring eye-opening to me especially at the time we had just uh we with Sinai and Happiness had been diving into depressing comics and depressing comic week so uh, seeing that was uh yeah just awe-inspiring I was what I was like it was like two o'clock in the morning and I was watching I think it was like Happy Tree Friends or something I must have been classic yeah another classic uh 13 Mm, was I 13? I was not, too young, uh, definitely too young anyway, to have wa to watch. I was like, what the fuck is this? Oh, well, this must be like a short film or something. Oh, no, why am I crying? Uh, <laughs> just this rapid, I laughed and I cried and I walked away from it going, I'm not sure it was like, it's good. I like it, but I'm not sure if I'll ever watch it again. And then I did a couple of years later, and I was like, this is really good. Right. But uh, like at, at the time, I was like, this will be said to no one. I will not tell anyone about this. I can't handle it. Um, yeah, it, right. bro it broke me. Uh, <laughs> so the fact that you saw it live must have been an interesting experience all the same. <laughs> yeah, it was It was great. It was. I saw it, um, the follow-ups as well as Sundance at the time. It just kind of became a tradition and i couldn't wait to see the next the next telling of what happens in the story since it was kind of serialized really liked it i also find it interesting that you know don Hertzfeld went down the path of you know there's two like even if you're doing something that's basically like a web comic or an animation there's two different roads you can go down you can go down a the road that we did which is more um internet comedy internet videos uh, you know, we do comic books, things of that nature. 
And then there's the type of people like Don Hertzfeld and Joan Cornella and stuff who do art galleries, film festivals, you know, a bit more of a uh, pinky up kind of atmosphere for a lot of those. We, I, I think that um, we, we could do that and have done that at times, but I find it interesting to see how they are in a lot of ways, the same occupation, the same career can uh, be mirrored like that. You yeah, know, it's fine art for them. It's it's uh, you know pulpy comedy for us. Yeah, but like fine art doesn't get you a board game, so <laughs> that's fair. That's very yeah. fair. I haven't seen it happen. Yeah, uh, like there is no. Uh, so I'm a, an art nerd. I love art, like uh, like paintings. My main specialty or like area of main interest is landscape paintings from like the 18th 16th 18th century which is a really niche thing i've talked about it at length uh on this show but like i still follow art religiously and i'm like i wish it was just more accessible i wish people that's why like at the end at the description of every single episode of the show i put in a, a, a painting that i really loved this week because it matters to me for art to be more accessible because art doesn't have to be the art galleries and because storing right. art in galleries means that people have to go to those galleries which means they need time which means they need you know all these other things financial like and otherwise whereas like right. just scanning them and putting them on youtube or putting them on you know a pinterest gives people action and access to them and right so, yeah, the lit- the less hoops you can make someone jump through to appreciate what you've done, the better. Who is your favorite character from fiction of any kind, and why? This is what comes to me. I'm going to go with my instinct here, since this is what first came to me. Um, <laughs> oddly enough, I would say uh, kind of two characters that are kind of a pair, if that's, if that's all right, is uh, Sh- uh, Shredder and Krang from the Teenage Mutant Ninja <laughs> <Yes>. Turtles. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> okay, why? Not only do I love their their tropes of the way they speak and the you know the dumb plots that they're involved in, but I a while ago went back and watched some of the old Ninja Turtle cartoons but without the Ninja Turtles, just the Shredder and Krang scenes. And I quickly realized that they are by far the most layered characters and what with when you take the ninja turtles out of it you have this like roommate soap opera between the two of them and i just really adore the chemistry shredder is an engineer krang's a a, a genius with no body shredder's like i'll build you a body he makes that weird overgrown baby with the glasses and krang's like this is the body you made me and they always fight and bicker, but then at some point, like, say, the Ninja Turtles beat them, and then the house catches on fire. Krang's little baby crib that he rides around in, uh, his little stroller, uh, falls over and crashes, and the, and the whole place is on fire. And Shredder escapes and then comes back to rescue Krang, even yeah. though they're constantly, like, trying to undercut each other or kill each other. And I, I, it just, uh, I just, I just loved the change of perspective and the going back and seeing it. And there, there's something about it, man. I, I really want there to be a Krang and Shredder show for specifically me in a selfish way. That's, I mean, this in this conversation, you have unlocked parts of my brain that I did not even <laughs> know were locked. 
like when i was very very uh when i was like six seven eight i would watch like looney tunes teenage mutant ninja turtles recess like all of these cartoons and that was i was always like no, Shredder is the most interesting character here. These right? all, these turtles are idiots. I actually detest them. They have like a like a <laughs> they're r- one note. Yeah, they're one note exactly. They're they do the same thing over and over again. Also, they're named after like v- famous painters, but that d- they don't do anything with that. Like they have so much doesn't potential. Come into play. It doesn't yeah. come into play. Like they're mentored by shitty Yoda. Like no, <laughs> go, go get also, out of my face. Like go, go gotta, with these guys. You gotta love that Shredder uh, defeated Splinter's master and has dedicated the rest of his adult life with all his soldiers and resources. He dedicates his life to now taking out his enemy's pet, which <laughs> yeah, would be yeah. Splinter. And that is, how could you not want to watch and learn why that person is you know the anti-hero aspect of it is fascinating even you wouldn't say he's an anti-hero he's more of just a villain but i he's still find it super interesting straight up yeah he's straight up just a villain but he's a likable <laughs> yeah. one and like uh, what i immediately came to mind uh was i would see splint uh splinter and krang versus like fucking aliens save the planet right yeah i would because yeah. they obviously want to destroy the teenage mutant ninja turtles but they need the earth to exist for that, they need New York City to exist. I don't even care if it's like a tropey Avengers type thing. Well, they all right. unite at the end. I just want this movie now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, they they already had Shredder and Krang already had their conflict uh, conflicts with Dimension X. So that's kind of the aliens in that respect. They were, uh, e- I believe, Krang was casted out and ejected from Dimension X, and uh, partly how he ended up a brain with arms. Kind of <laughs> stuck in New York. Yeah, like the New York City that the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles live in as well is absolutely horrific uh, because there's fucking nuclear waste and, <laughs> you know, there's all it's sorts true. of terrible shit there. Um, well, New York in the late 80s and early 90s was a really dangerous place. There wasn't, I, I would be too surprised if I saw an old newspaper clipping from 1987 or something saying nuclear waste pile right in the middle of... <laughs> Uh, Central Park, that wouldn't surprise me too much. What fascinates you? Uh, what fascinates me, honestly, I'm obsessed with kind of this, the the con- uh, conversations and theorizing on creativity, inspiration, um, comedy itself, you know, why a joke is funny, how it, like, like that stuff is, it's like a lot of, a lot, especially in comedy, it's a language that's almost silent where you can understand something without putting it to words and i i like the picking apart and the anatomy of of things of that nature and working in a creative job you do have to consider um how to ride the creative bone when you get it and how to work with creative block all of those things are something that you actively have to pay attention and work on so i find it fascinating i find i find that like one uh, one of my favorite uh, topics. So the only reason I do this show is because I'm interested in it. Like I don't, I'm not doing this for fame. I don't put ads in these podcasts. I'm not going to be sponsored by the Ridge or whatever. You know, <laughs> like I don't. I just like it for the this exact thing, the process of going through and being creative and being like, okay, well today I don't actually have the energy to edit. How do I advance? my goals creatively for this show and how do i 
help people as well to be creative and 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 give something back to the people that support me that's why i do things like you know i do that um like painting thing or that's I'll, awesome like just because i want to be a part of the process and i want to be part of like just helping and also helping myself because if i'm having a bad time creatively helping people always gets me back out of that rut um so to hear that it fascinates you how people kind of put those puzzles together because it's got to be different than everyone right it's, like everyone has their own different rituals for getting into the zone of creativity um and finding out what they are can often help you to do things as well i, I say you as in like me or anyone else i remember there was a there was an article i read a while back that actually taught me a creative exercise that i never knew about that helped a lot um a person in, I believe, early 20th century was going around interviewing composers and Mark Twain and a bunch of people who are, uh, you know, artistic and uh, literary creative legends. And the article was about realizing that when they are focusing or trying to figure out a problem or a plot element or anything, there's usually motion involved. And whether it be riding a train or going on a walk or even pacing back and forth in a pacing spot you have, you can almost, you can feel it while driving, I feel. Like when you drive, you'll notice that there's a part of your brain that kind of just drips off. And it's almost a necessity to drive, is just kind of zone out, you're focused on the horizon. And I, as someone who paces a lot, I definitely notice that when I'm, when I'm lost in, chasing a creative idea that I'll pace naturally. I won't be realizing I'm doing it very much. It's just part of the focusing process. And I definitely say that's a creative exercise that uh, has been useful where it's like, all right, well, I'm going to try pacing around or go for a walk, go for a drive. And that has, that's helped. It's one of the few kind of band-aids on a creative block that you can actually kind of be, you know, a bit of utilitarian about. That ties into like a Buddhist story. So there's the story, have you heard of the story of the soup? I haven't. Okay, so there was this monk who was assigned to make a special broth for a ritual, okay? So this broth had a thick, foamy top on it, and the vegetables were evenly spread throughout it. So he has never made this before, and so he goes and he starts, uh, like, throwing in the vegetables and putting in the, the chicken broth and stirring and stirring and stirring, and he gets frustrated about 10 or 15 minutes in because there's no for foam forming or uh, and all the vegetables are kind of stuck to the pot and it, it doesn't smell good and he keeps stirring and he's stirring and he's stirring and eventually he just gets fed up and he says fuck this i don't know if monks curse but in this story they do <laughs> uh, fuck this i'm going outside i'm going for a walk and he goes walking in the gardens and he like he stresses out and he eventually meets the um the leader of the temple and the temple says, what, what are you doing out here? And, and the monk says, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't get the soup to work. Uh, it just wasn't working for me. And he said, and the monk, uh, leader monk looks at him for a second. And he goes, oh, and a realization dawns on his face. And he just says, follow me. And they walk back into the temple and he finds the soup fully cooked with the broth on top of the vegetables spread in evenly the air. And the leader monk turns to him and says, all you had to do was just leave it cook. There's no special sauce. Sometimes right. time is just the thing that you need. 
Uh, and he pats him on the shoulder and he walks away. Uh, that's, uh, that's a story that I keep in mind sometimes when I'm like really stressed or looking for a solution to problems that sometimes right. don't have solutions. It's just, wait for the soup to cook, asshole. Exactly. I, that's a, yeah, that's great story. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely be adopting that movie forward. It's also a good, good story on, it's very, you know, it's very easy to overwork something. It's very easy. And you, you got to work on noticing when you're taking that pivot to overworking something, especially in a lot of art, you know, for painting or drawing or writing, you can often be doing them as rituals that only you'll notice. And you just got to you got to be careful to not not be restrained by these perfectionist things. It can be hard because, you know, something I definitely had to work on, um, including when I first created Cyanide and Happiness, I made like maybe nine or between nine and 11 comics. I didn't show anybody. I didn't put them on the Internet. I didn't show my friends. They were an outlet for me and I felt too vulnerable at the concept of people seeing these really stupid jokes that I laugh at because they're so dumb. And the, I like, if I wouldn't have put them out there, if I wouldn't have, you know, actually let them go, because, you know, nothing's finished in these kind of avenues. They're, they can be done, but, and, you know, they're never finished. You can always find something to adjust or work on or, you know, get into that headspace where you're going to be just stirring the soup for no reason. What piece of media should everyone consume? Breakfast of Champions by Kurt Vonnegut is an interesting book to go into, even if you're not a big novel reader or anything of that nature. It's the book that he wrote for himself on his 50th birthday to get all of his ideas out. And that's why I find it to be one of the... It's almost like masturbatory in writing the things that he wanted to do. And it's my favorite book for that reason. I found it to be just like filled with all these interesting ideas and it would go really dark on a, on a one sentence and then really funny on the next and then really insightful, really philosophical. It's, it's very, it's very interesting to see someone treat themselves by using all these ideas that they had no place for. If you could name a hot sauce, what would you call it and why? If I could name a hot sauce, I, you got to, you know, a hot sauce is there's a sport to the label, right? The label is everything and how the branding it's usually often, you know, hot sauces are daring you to try it. And I would have to say, I would go with something a little left field, just low, L O <laughs> um, <laughs> Jupiter's moon with the giant lava tidal waves, things like that do a little oh. spacey i guess i'm picturing this very visually it, you know it would be spacey lava tidal wave on the front and uh i think that would stand out the amount of hot sauces that have like fiery labels and stuff like that i would do something spacey and uh yeah kind of uh, high concept i guess so like have you ever seen the painting the great wave i don't believe so uh so I, i'm gonna link it to you because this is immediately what came into my head you probably have seen this somewhere oh yeah you did you google yes. it yeah the great yes, imagine uh the great wave with a lava and then just in the front of it just a tiny spaceship flying away and then io sauce and fuck yeah that's so cool <laughs> I, oh that's great yeah i think i got the name wrong though did i say low and not io ah that's the first mistake in the branding yeah this is for this is the thinking man's masochistic <laughs> hot sauce how hot would it be 
It's really important. Um, I'm not an expert on Skullville, but it's usually high numbers, right? What is yeah, it? but um, uh, like you can determine the the value. So like a uh, what are they called? Like a normal pepper is like a thousand Scovilles, and like Blair's Mega Death Sauce with Liquid Rage is five hundred thousand Scovilles. So you're like, what, where are you going in in, in that scale? I would go I'll try to aim. I'd try to aim for sixty nine million. Sixty nine million. <laughs> then it becomes a gag gift, and uh, it's on hot ones, and yeah, it's, it's a... got the comedy number in it. What is your most prized physical possession? My most prized physical possession is my grandpa's acoustic guitar that got handed down to me. I actually ran into that uh, nightmare scenario at one point. I was in Texas working on one of our shows at the time. I think it was Cyanide Happiness Season 2. And there was the High Park Fire happening in Colorado, which was right next to my town. Um, over 100,000 acres were on fire. It was really bad. And uh, we could basically, we could kind of see it on the horizon when we took off for Texas. And then after I was in Texas for about two or three days, I get that phone call um, from my friend, my roommate watching the place at the time. He's saying, hey, they're pre-evacuating. Um, what do you want me to save? <laughs> and that's like the nightmare phone call you get when you're out traveling. And the, I was totally fine, you know, save my pets and my grandpa's acoustic guitar and the rest can burn. I'll be all right. And I have accumulated a couple family heirloom instruments that I, uh, you know, that they're, they're very sentimental to me. And the, the guitar that my uh, grandpa gave me is the guitar I used to, when he lived with us, I would go and pluck at it. Uh, in his room and everything and it's how I got into playing music and writing music recording mixing things like that and easily my my that's my getaway that's my that's my vacation and the creative outlet in a lot of ways is just doing music and yeah that that would be that would be my prized possession uh he was ha half Native American and he was really into Johnny Cash so he'd play Ring of Fire a lot. And he was also a divorced grandpa. So the Ring of Fire to him was also a funny joke about don't get married. What inspires you? I'm inspired by, oh man, just about everything. I have heroes and, and whatnot. But, you know, I also have been told that I have a fucked up sense of humor. I never try, we never try to be offensive or fucked up. We were just informed that we are. And so I often... I get that, you know, people sometimes treat me like uh, sometimes my jokes are uh, too real or, you know, uh, uh, you know I guess uh, uh, they could slap you in the face. You know, this is even among my family and friend groups as well. So I always feel like I kind of am at the mercy of that. So I do find inspiration in everything from the mundane to the tragic. The, the it, It's just kind of how I translate things. Just what I like about it is that your comedy doesn't punch down. So, like, obviously, I'm trans, and um, people like to make us the butt of a lot of different jokes. And I've never felt right. once that you were like mercilessly taking the piss, uh, because it like it, you know I, I I appreciate you don't pick easy targets. Like you don't go, oh yeah, Thank this you. is this is a group that is like, oh we're just gonna make fun of you, ha ha ha, different. It's 
right. no, this joke is actually something. You know, like, of course, there's stupid and silly, and all of those things are wonderful. But I never felt like it was. How would I say it? Like I never felt cruel, cruel unnecessarily cruel, or awful, or shitty, or a joke for the right. sake of a joke to make people that you don't give a shit about laugh. You know what I mean? Right. I, I really like. Yeah. Thank the, you. I. Yeah. I really. I really appreciate hearing that. Yeah, no, that that means that means a whole lot, especially not only um, you saying that, but even noticing in general, because we we do consider that not only do we um, find that like, you know, to not be our thing in general, it's not the thing that makes us laugh to begin with. It's also not the thing we strive for. But we also find a lot of things like that to be very comedically lazy um, on top of all of it. It's very comedically lazy to, you know, just follow just like beating on beat down on stereotypes of people where they're not exactly laughing they're more of sneering along and joining in on a dog pile that's that's never something that makes us laugh so we stay away from it yeah like fuck ricky gervais fuck everything about the man right like (laughs) right i agree yeah i can't if you're gonna take the piss out of a group of trans people why like unless you can make some tasteful joke there's trans people that are literally like telling the joke better than you can right uh, not you specific, obviously not you i i'm talking to the the shitheads who just go ha trans people. yeah um, yeah i follow yeah definitely like, and ricky gervais going around like i've liked some of his productions and there's jokes here and there that it, you know i'll admit yeah that's funny but the, i couldn't i would be extremely embarrassed if we were running around saying oh i'm so offensive oh you're not going to be able to handle this oh you bet that pisses you off that is an absolutely uh that's a bastardization on on comedy and also it's just uh it's it's sanctimonious it's really big-headed i hate seeing that side of him yeah, like uh, he he's also just lived like a shithead. <laughs> yeah, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't care. Also, while I'm on the topic, and I say this every single episode of the Curiosity Verdict, hey Joe Rogan, go fuck yourself. Uh, next, <laughs> next question. Work. Did you ever have an epiphany? If so, what was it about? I don't know if this would count as epiphany, but I'm gonna throw it out there. Um, one thing that we have kept as kind of a mantra with what we do with Sinai and happiness is we, especially when we were first starting out, we would get a lot of questions of like, Hey, do you mind if I draw some fan art or do you like, did you see this guy? He's also got circle and square characters. It's very much similar to yours. Um, We've always had the mantra of, you know, we don't, we don't want to take people down we don't think we invented circles and squares we wanted people to do c uh cnh style things because we also read comics and like to laugh and if you can make us laugh that it's appreciated you know and uh i guess the epiphany moment for that would be how matt stone and trey parker handle knockoff merch that is sold illegally around the world of south park and everything they don't go around suing. They own the rights to their merchandise. They don't go around suing or taking people down. Instead, they collect them all. They collect all these crappy knockoffs of what they do. And, uh, you know, we've we've found that to be kind of a, a, a bit of a Bible passage for how we treat everything CNH. And I think that due to that, there's been... You know, we haven't jumped into unnecessary drama. There are some people who have been inspired by us to be able to go out and do the thing that we're doing. That's exactly what we want. 
the good thing about being open to people kind of taking your stuff and remixing it and stuff like that is that you only kind of benefit because people then go well where did you where did you learn how to do this and they're going to say oh obviously this is cyanide and happiness like they were huge inspirations of mine now if they don't credit you i mean shit but (laughs) most of the time people are pretty good about this sort of thing yeah and you know sometimes we can tell even if it's not an open credit and that's obviously probably very flattering yeah absolutely something when we were first starting out doing cyanide happiness as a daily webcomic hyperlinking was really frowned upon back then and usually if you tried to link to an image it would break and just show you know like hosted by angel fire or something like that instead of the actual image and we were if i'm not mistaken the first webcomic to say screw that we want people to share this as much as possible hyperlink away you know it doesn't matter if it runs up our server or anything like that and that you know MySpace came along and people were able to share us quite a bit through MySpace and and forums and you know imager a bunch of bunch of things and that's I think everyone should approach things that way. Yeah, we like to have credit. For example, a New Zealand TV station at one point took a bunch of our comics and aired them on TV panel by panel and uh, didn't credit us credit us. And so we got in contact with them and we're like, wait, 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 do that again. But now, but now put our credit on. And I think that attitude is, has, has worked well to, I feel like a lot of people recognize cyanide and happiness, even if they, if they haven't seen or read it. What is the silliest thing you want to own? The silliest thing I want to own that I haven't been able to get my hands on. It's not all that, uh, it's not all that extravagant. But I want a full suit of chainmail that's done with cable knit. I remember going to Medieval Times, and one of the knights rode up close enough that I could see that his uh, chainmail was all uh, cable knit fabric, and that was badass to me. And it's like, man, I would just wear that like clothing if I could <laughs> find some. And it's been a little harder to find than you'd think, I guess. I- Got to go apply at medieval times and then maybe quit the second week. What is the most valuable thing you have ever learned? Even though it's a little bit of a repeat in a way, I would say the the art of letting something go, considering something done and finished. And when you do comedy or artwork or music or, you know, so many different artistic endeavors, there it is. I realize what I say all the time. I say, you know, you know. Blah, blah, blah. That's the thing I keep repeating. I, I didn't even notice, but... and I probably will never notice, so you're okay. Uh... <laughs> Great. I'll, I'll hold you to it. Never notice that. But <laughs> I w- would definitely have to say the art of letting something go has been really helpful in my life for not only putting those projects out there and letting the audience make it theirs, let them interpret it how they how they interpret it. And that also goes into... The fact that we now have um, a full-size animation studio, we have over 24 full-time employees, and the idea of something that we all did ourselves and being able to give someone the the like not only just like the freedom to hold the reins on something that is a creative, uh, you know, brainchild of yours, the idea of letting someone not only uh, try to help amplify that, but also, you know, like collaboratively, but also give them enough room to put their own spin on it has also been useful, not only for um, 
the fact that we can we can put all, all of our effort into creative ideas and and making jokes and what have you uh but also collaborating with each other and collaborating with the great team that we've hired keeps us inspired and trying new ideas and new things that we never would have thought of otherwise and i definitely know that there is a common thing that can happen where people don't know how to how to transition into that into expanding or in some ways even sharing something like that and it can really stagnate them or i think that's where a lot of creators going on a hiatus comes from and not having you know like you can make things for yourself yes and i think that that's always a good indication of you know how to how to know you like something or feel confident about it but there's there's also um like you can't if you do that forever you're gonna have one voice you're working with and especially if you're writing you can't just write the characters with your own voice every character can't just have your voice one voice and i i feel like that it's not only does it nip at your heels and try to make you improve or or notice how to do things better differently it's just also keeps things fresh and inspiring and i think everybody knows that feeling where someone brings up something you never thought of and then you have all these all these ideas that rush in the art of letting something go and calling it finished how do you feel about death i i feel like it's kind of freeing I feel like death is, uh, I don't know, stigmatized in a lot of ways. I would, I would assume that, you know, death, I, I, I don't think it, you should let it motivate you. <laughs> I don't think you should let the, the fear of it motivate you so much. I, I, I don't know. I, I'm at least at a point in my life right now where I would, I, I don't think I would go out kicking and screaming any point. I've come to peace with that, if that makes sense. What emotion has taught you the most? being completely and utterly lonely i growing up the, especially when i moved out on my own and everything still living in a really really small place in the least populated state in the country i remember there would be times where i wouldn't i would i hadn't talked out loud in so long that my throat would be kind of closed up i remember going to uh something like a gas station just to strike up a conversation with the cashier um you know, uh, after graduating high school, I had a lot of friends, uh, all, all my friends left town, small town. I'm glad they did. <laughs> but uh, I definitely learned a lot from spending so much time alone. Sinai and happiness came out of trying to entertain myself in that void. And then um, I've also seen where it gets too far, where you're alone for too long. Cabin fever and all that. Mm -hmm. Especially during lockdown. Yes, yeah. exactly. And I feel a little trained for something like this but it still doesn't make it any less convenient uh loneliness is uh, a difficult one for me because my loneliness didn't come from geography it didn't come from it just came from like being bullied and just right. kind of not feeling welcome in in spaces and wanted and um, because sometimes you can be f like surrounded by people and still feel lonely and still feel like you don't belong and still feel like you know, the world isn't made for you. Um, Absolutely. And one of the things that I realized is that, well, like, you're, you are the one that interacts with the world. So you get to decide on your parameters for do, doing it. So you can make the world there for you, if, if that makes any sense. Like, 
you get to decide that the world is made for you and that you can do whatever you like because you only have one life. But what that doesn't stop is sometimes you just want a hug and sometimes you right. just want affection and, and like connecting with people. This show has been, it was a lockdown product because it just came as, like I had this idea for so many years, but I never had the time nor really like the, the it's not the desire because again, the idea was there, but I just got to a point where I was like, I have been alone for so long that I, I need to talk to people. Uh, right. And so uh, the fact that that's a, that's a thing that kind of in- integrated itself into your personality is extremely relatable to me. I think that's a really good point. You know, especially I've, I know of the feeling and have met the people who let it consume them where sometimes you put yourself in a place where you are adverse to, you know, people in general, you get lonely to the point where you feel like you're giving the world its punishment by excluding yourself. Like it's a revenge. And I think that that's a, that's kind of a snake eating its tail kind of logic. What is beautiful? Well, I guess, uh, probably be shooting myself in the foot if i didn't start by saying my wife is beautiful <laughs> <laughs> there you go good answer. Now that that's done yeah and um yeah i aside from that um i guess not to sound um too waxing poetic but uh i think that uh, self-discovery is definitely a beautiful thing you're stuck with yourself and when you can get to that point if you haven't forgot to strive for that or learn more or just kind of get to know yourself more i think that uh is a beautiful thing that's super important and even if you have nothing that's still an option for you the unexamined life is not worth living and that's according to uh the greeks so right taking a step back and going like who the fuck am i what am i called to be in this whole thing because there's so much things we can't control i can't understand but what you can do is you can look inside and say what parts of me what do i desire who who am i um because that's why people go through like midlife crises because they've never stopped and gone who am i why am i doing any of this um, right so couldn't agree more yeah the the feeling of i need to know who i'm dealing with here uh, and who i'm dealing with is the only person that i will ever deal with on a consistent basis for the my entire life because friendships they come and go, people come and go, but you as a, a unit, as an organism will be there for your entire life and you really have to get to know. You have to be on uh, head, head nodding terms with your past self. You're always sharing the dinner table with yourself and you better make sure you can have conversation. Would you describe yourself as cute and cuddly? I would not. I would not describe myself as cute and cuddly. I, I'm a sentimental, empathetic person, but I I guess I'm just, I'm not a very physically affectionate person. I, a lot of it, you know, growing up kind of uh, out in the middle of nowhere, uh, there's a lot of habits that I still got to shake and everything on things like uh, expressing myself or uh, I have something called imposter syndrome, which is a fun thing to learn about. I think a lot more people experience it than they realize. And knowing that has been a good way to be like, ah, so that's what it is. You can put it under a microscope. You can see it in a bubble in front of you instead of it just being this mystery about yourself. And the feeling that uh, everything that's happened to me is luck and that I'm undeserving and shit like that um, is way easier to 
uh, work with knowing that. But yeah, I would say that I still am a guy who has a hard time being outwards emotionally. I, I'm very hard to Christmas shop for because I'm not very vocal about things that I'm obsessed with. Situations like that. So no, I would say that I probably fall outside of the cute and cuddly spectrum. Well, if it helps, uh, one thing that kind of, I'm a very, like, again, I am super cute and cuddly. Um, I am very like, expressive of my emotions and everything, like, right. which is different uh, to where I was when I was a kid. But I, one thing I learned that which really kind of resonated with me and which might help you is the idea that uh, you can say I love you without ever actually saying I love you. Uh, you can do it via actions and thoughts and deeds. There's so many different ways to say those three words that you might not ever need to say them. So, and I'm sure you say that yeah. on a daily basis. Absolutely great advice. Tell me about something you learned recently that amused you. Something I learned fairly recently that amused me is getting to a, in to dive deep and enjoy and appreciate the sonic fandoms, perversions, and fetishes. The <laughs> buff Christian Sonics, the the inflated Sonics, the foot fetish stuff, all of that is hysterical to me. And um, I, I, I'm never, I'm never going to forget the things that I've seen. And I'm, I'm happy with that. A lot of people say that, you know, oh, Sonic's been ruined by the fandom. And I'm not a huge Sonic fan or anything like that. But I am a fan of watching people get weird. <laughs> so that is, that's something that I would say, yes, please look into that. Treat yourself and enjoy the depths. Treat yourself right. Look up Sonic yeah. porn. Yeah, exactly. Some of it's important. The, the, I love the buff Christian Sonic will be like in Speedos and have huge bulges and they're almost completely naked and they'll be praying in front of a cross <laughs> and stuff like that. So they don't think it's porn, but we know. We know. We know what the their favorite part of the, <laughs> the entire <laughs> process is. <laughs> oh, that's outstanding. That's so good. Um, I This is the one question of the show that I answer uh, every single week so the the thing that I learned recently that amused the shit out of me is that there is people that go on like video game circuits that is to say like they play Call of Duty they play Rainbow Six Siege they play a lot of these video games and they pretend to be other people um and I'm not talking like oh this is um uh they pretend to be like someone they're not. It's like straight up, oh no, I'm playing video games with Jesus Christ. Like the right. Jesus Christ. Or and they stream it. They, like there's an entire category of this. Like aside from like the Hollow Live stuff, which if you haven't looked into Hollow Live and like the anime streamers, you you have to, dude. You have to. Okay. Right? Uh, look sounds up, up my alley. Look up Hollow Live streamers and just get lost in that rich and constructed world. But while I was kind of googling this and falling down this rabbit hole just a bit because i'm not going to delve too deep into it yet uh is i found there's just an entire category of people on twitch that pretend to be like no my child i am the actual jesus christ uh and, and they play like call of duty this guy was playing call of duty and he was like get absolutely shit on you know like it's just wild <laughs> shit um so that amused the crap out of me uh this week but yeah hollow live streamers Look up that you you will you will like that I think it's wild and they Sounds have like, like a perfect rabbit hole 
they they have like a complex story and like some of them are aliens that drop from earth and are now living among humans and they're like posing as like fuck i i can't just google it and and follow the rabbit hole yourself and enjoy yourself uh, i started with an image search and I, I i think that's a good way to dip my toe in this is this is the exact type of rabbit hole i appreciate i yeah. i could guarantee you i'll dig into this tonight where do you feel safest um, I feel safest out in the wilderness, uh, almost to a dangerous degree. I really enjoy uh, week to week long backpacking trips. I'm one of those people who will take a 30 pound backpack and go um, follow a trail. And there's a little bit of an acceptance on, you know, if I twist my ankle, I could be stuck out here for a long time or, or die out here. And there's something really nice and freeing about just, uh, you know, it's a, there's a bit of what I'm used to being a kid growing up and everything that's involved in that as well. So, yeah, I just really appreciate going and uh, doing the survivalist thing. Cool. Yeah, I love I love nature walks uh, as well. Personally, that's where I feel safest in the middle of the countryside. Uh, we don't have like forests or hiking trails here. They do exist in Ireland, but not where I'm from. Uh, right. But just walking along country roads and like looking at hills and mountains and stuff and greenery and just smelling plants and oh i love it i love everything oh, about it. absolutely yeah uh, whereabouts uh, in ireland uh so at the present moment i'm in the dead center of ireland but where i'm from is cork best place in the world i love it everything about it i'm so proud to be from cork and yeah i i live in the middle of this parceled countryside the most bucolic rich joyous area of the planet now it rains obviously because it's ireland it rains mm -hmm. a lot there but even when it's raining just that slight like a slight misty rain just walking out there and smelling the the countryside alive sometimes it's right terrible smells obviously because of farmland farms yes sometimes they're spreading lime on fields across the way especially when it comes to like spring they're about to plant again so they have to clean out the fields and you just get a, a fresh spritz in your air as you're walking through like hedgerows and stuff it's heavenly uh, and I, I love it so much. And that lockdown kind of took that for me a little bit because I was stuck and I did those walks so much that they they became, I began to enjoy them less because I was doing them so much because your brain kind of turns right. off and it doesn't get them. So it became habitual. Yeah. Uh, um, but I'm when I get back to my home, uh, I'm looking forward to going on like a big three or four hour long walk because I just go in, I listen to some jazz or I listen to a podcast or something and I just get lost in, in the scents and smells of the countryside. It's awesome. You yeah, you definitely get it. I, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm right there with you. Just being out, being in, in nature and everything. If you were on a starship, what position would you hold? Um, if I was on a starship, I guess I would want to... This might not be the position I would get, but I would want to be part of the surveying plant services uh, uh fossils things like that uh, that'd be cool to me understanding the biomes of uh of planets and stuff like that that's what i'd want to do i'd probably be put in something more of a custodian position but <laughs> i uh that's where i would strive do you think there is more good than bad in the world um yeah i'd say so i'd say so uh i think i think we're built not to notice it i think we're like even I think that we're biologically built to not be able to remember happy moments with clarity for a reason. And I, you know, I think that we're built to look past it, overlook it, things of that nature. Hell, I think if you even try to uh, vividly remember a, even a sexual experience, it's going to be difficult. And I think that that's absolutely an indication that we're, we're 
not supposed to be able to just relive uh, happy things or notice all the happy things because then we'd be complacent. And so, yeah, I think that we are, we are not uh, the, what's the word, I guess um, uh, we, we don't, it's, we're not built to provide all the good. And I think we uh, aren't supposed to be able to notice all the good because we are problem fixers. If you could give just one piece of advice, what would that be? I assume this is something that is said often, but I would hope so, uh, because it is good advice. I am struggling for an elegant way to say that I'm sure you probably know the proverb or what have you of the uh, being liquid with situations, um, writing the experience instead of trying to control it. The uh, you know, some people would give it a religious title, even as even something like dudism or whatever. But the idea of, um, you know, happy people approach like they, they make happiness out of their situation. It's not an obtainable thing. It's not as soon as I get this, then I'll be happy. You should be able to be happy with whatever tools you have on hand. And that's something worth practicing. Absolutely. Absolutely.